Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our investor network. Okay, and now on to the show. Okay, today I have a wonderful guest, Patrick Grimes. And Patrick Grimes, uh, we met through a mastermind. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on the show, Patrick. Yeah, glad to be here, Jonathan. Good to see you again. Great. Patrick is a founder and CEO of investonmainstreet.com. It's a private equity firm that enhances business professionals' quality of life by providing tax-shielded and inflation hedge passive investment alternative investments. Since 2007, Patrick has purchased distressed real estate assets, renovating, stabilizing for long-term cash flow. He has raised over $60 million to acquire $600 million portfolio, including over 4,000 units in multifamily apartment communities in emerging markets across Texas and Southeast United States. He has also diversified investments in energy that include 100-plus natural oil and gas wells in five locations across five states. Patrick is also a co-author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, and he actively writes articles on investing and commercial real estate for Forbes and Inmon. He holds a, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in engineering, as well as an MBA. Well, that's a wonderful background, Patrick. Very impressive. And um, and I'm very glad to tell you can share some insights on, you know, the state of the market in multifamily, you know, what's going on now with all these interest rate hikes. I mean, how do you feel for my listeners? Uh, is it a good time to jump in and acquire or should we hold back? What are your insights about that? Well, both. I think, <laughs> by the way, great to be here, Jonathan. Yeah, there, it's a combination of both of those. There, there are strategies of call it yesteryear, maybe the last three to five, five to 10 years where investments were put together. Uh, and those strategies aren't the right strategies today. And there is a lot of operators still putting deals together like that uh, as if, interest rates and inflation and COVID and the material shortages and labor shortages and costs and delays as if none of that's happening. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, but then there are other investors put together, which are really geared towards winning from the downturn, leaning into a downturn and finding the upside of that. And I and having me having been through somebody who lost everything in 2009 and 10, <laughs> not building recession resilient portfolios, doing all in in development and personally guaranteeing highly leveraged balloon stuff back then and you know being drug trucked to the gutter I, I at least have appreciation for uh how to build a recession resilient portfolio and now that we're in a time where it's there's there's a lot of good buys how to structure those deals that allow you to take advantage of the downturn mm -hmm. that's wonderful how you learn i guess your lesson uh, from back then in 2009, when uh, when I guess a great recession happened 2008 and post 2009. So tell us what what did you did you aggressively take bridge loans or how did you get yourself into into hot water at that time? Yeah, so you use the word wonderful. Yeah, sure, it was wonderful. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I so I was uh, fresh out of college as a mechanical design engineer, very eager and doing well. I got some advice to get into real estate as, as soon as I, to put as much as I can, as soon as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went for the highest returning deals. I didn't know about risk adjusted returns. I didn't know about recession. I didn't know even what a personal guarantee was or cross collateralization. So I got into a development where they had a reputation in the recent history for doubling and tripling, you know, their, your, your investment 
yes. year because you're in pre-developing it and you're going to develop something to, to be developed and then build on it. And then, so you got a couple of steps ahead. Well, there's turns out high degree of risk. And wow. And while everybody in back in 2006 and seven was like, oh, we're going to go down and here's, here's way too much money for somebody who doesn't know how to spend it. You know, my, like a, an experienced engineer, like I was. Okay. Um, yeah. So it, it was a balloon debt where I was paying uh, out of pocket without a cash flowing asset. Right. And uh, when the property turned upside down, the lender sold, bought, sold, bought the note numerous times. Uh, and then they came after me. They said, you know, they wanted, they wanted my assets as collateral mm-hmm. to their right. Right. Cause they, I yeah. didn't guarantee this. Um, so I did, it took me a while to uh, find an attorney to help me negotiate my way out. And he actually, it's funny because he told me you got to stop paying. I was like, no, the right thing to do is to pay. They're like, they're never going to talk to you to say stop paying. <laughs> and so oh, the only even way to get a, a conversation going apparently was stop paying. And then they, we worked out an agreement. Uh, they, I did settle, they did debt forgiveness, and then I had to pay taxes on the forgiven debt. In the oh, okay. Year. Okay. Cancel, cancel your debt section 108. I'm a tax person. So I know the code section. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, it's called COD. It's called COD. Yeah. Then you know that that means I just had to pay the income tax. Uh, their forgiven debt became my tax obligation in the subsequent year. So great forgiveness, right? Really appreciate it. <laughs> That. Yeah, so it's hard because even though it's great that they forgave the loan financially on the books, but the IRS Uncle Sam will say, well, that's truly income because you didn't have to pay anything. So in their mind, you should pay tax on that that income, basically. Yeah. Me personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, unfortunately. Oh, so it's a development deal. That's what happened. Okay, very interesting. Very interesting. So I guess the risk there was you did it during a time when unfortunately it was kind of risky and then you didn't know, see that 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 went upside down. That's what happened, basically. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good. And how did you, I guess, come back from from that from that 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 period when you you climbed back to your success? What did you do, and how did you change your mindset? You know. Well, I was still gainfully employed as a, a talented automation robotics mechanical engineer, and so I dove into that. Did well. I uh, got a master's in engineering, an MBA. Started as an executive. Moved moved companies, uh, and then I ended up with bonuses again. Wondered where to invest it. And I, I had seen my 401k take a ride as well as my real mm-hmm. estate portfolio. And so I was eager to find something else. Okay. Uh, and if you follow the breadcrumbs of the wealthy, it just leads you right back to real estate. And the challenge was how? Because I had seen the, the ugly. But what I learned about is how the wealthy take the path of the tortoise and not the hare. Right. And I was okay. humbled at this point. So I, I learned about recession resilient markets. I learned about recession resilient asset classes, mm-hmm. existing construction that cash flows on day one, where you can make measurable improvements and improve the value through renovations. And so I started buying single family in Texas, essentially from Southern California. Yeah, and, nice. Yeah, and building a portfolio. It was a moonlight business. That was a very demanding job, but it was working. Uh, it was working yeah. until I met my wife. And then yeah. when I met my wife, I realized I couldn't moonlight real estate and and marry her. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. I took a long break. And then after that, we traded up to larger uh, commercial assets and multifamily and same strategy, okay. same okay. process of low leveraged fixed interest or capped, a uh, lot of reserves, existing construction, cash flowing and recession resilient markets. And, you know, that that hum, that fear in the back of my mind of what happens if was always there and it's always present. So it, 
and I'm glad to say that right now, um, still very good about our portfolio and in the, even in the challenges that this market had, which we could talk about. I mean, the market's in a really tough spot yeah. right now. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, everyone's looking for deals and it's very hard to find those, those, the unicorn deals that everyone wants, right? You know, they want, they want like, you know, good debt. They want pretty good, you know, a good location like Dallas where I live, you know, they want the, the, the good assets, but you know, the debt went up. So your DCR, it's going to be hard to meet that debt service ratio. And then the seller price is still having come down to a point where we, we wanted to. So that makes more sense. So it's very hard to find deals these days, you know? And I'm not sure how you find these deals or you have any deals. I mean, how, what are your thoughts on, on, on this market? Yeah, well, so, you know, with with the economics the way they are, I, I my, my looking glass for where things are going to be at in three to five and five to seven years in terms of valuations, interest rates, you know, it's a lot more fuzzy than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago. And so mm-hmm. we're structuring deals now, not around trying to uh, hope that we can grow rents and appreciate through renovations and value-add. In fact, we're not doing the longer-term holds right now, where our recessionary acquisition fund finds investments where we know we can buy right, and we trade out quickly. So the whole point is, which I couldn't say three to five years ago, is that we have a ton of deal flow where you can make your return on the buy. And that's awesome, right? Because if if it's very clear now today that there's an asset where you can make that return on the buy, and... Then immediately we we close quickly all in cash and or from from you know from our fund uh, and then capital raise from our fund so we lock it up at the lowest basis refight our capital by a second then trade the first one forward to a third and we do that under a year turn one into two and then two into four and then four into eight all within a fund and we're still distributing cash flow along the way and so one becomes two becomes four you get a lot of cash flow eventually. But then your equity grows very quickly, more measurably and calculated because we're each time we're making a step, it's calculated, make your return on the buy and then trade forward and make your return on the buy. And Mm -hmm. and that's a lot more measurable and lower risk than buying now, raising a ton of capital to do renovations Mm -hmm. and hope that valuations hold true at a rate, which as you renovate, you can improve rents and improve value. But at your time right now when the tide's lowering and values are resetting, so the longer you hold, the more at risk you are, that all your effort just be consumed by valuation. I see. So your strategy is buy now. So how do you buy now at the right price? So how do you buy, like your strategy is saying buy now at the right price and then sell it, I guess, quickly, short term. So explain that a little more so I understand. Yeah, well, so... It's, it's a little counterintuitive because we've, we've conditioned our investors that when we buy, we then hold. We slowly renovate all the units. Well, that's not a good idea right now. Why is that not a good idea? It's because uh, material costs are higher with inflation and it's harder to find them because of the supply chain issues coming out of COVID. Labor costs are higher and yeah. it takes longer to do things uh, and because of the great resignation. And also, it's hard to just get people out of the units. You know, the eviction ban backed up the courts. And as soon as they lifted it, we couldn't get people evicted. And then more when the rental assistance checks stopped coming in, those people stopped paying. So, you know, it's harder to even evict to get people out to do more expensive and longer renovations. And so I just don't think it makes sense right now to put a bunch of stock in hoping you can improve 
over the long haul. So if you can, which we are have an acquisitions engine, which goes out there and tie, we actually target owners directly and we're finding a lot of distressed owners. Why? Because they weren't prepared. Maybe it's because of a natural disaster. Maybe it's because their delinquencies because of COVID, or maybe it's because their debt interest rate increased and it consumed all their income or a combination of those, or their debt's just coming due and they haven't been able to execute their business plan in time to refinance out of it. And the new debt is not going to be good for them because it's at a higher interest rate, right? So a combination of these factors lead a ton of really, really good property. Okay. Great performing assets that are owned by distressed owners. They didn't have the right financial foundation to ride out this recession. And so to be the source of relief, we can step in there and restructure it, buy it and cash it at a great basis and then make that return. Right. And so we're oh, I see. filtering through a lot of properties right now. We're finding those good ones. Uh, we just acquired a property uh, for a, we just raised 4.8 million and locked in a property sales price, 4.2 million in the fund. We raised the capital and placed it. We closed on the asset within 12 days of completing our due diligence, uh, raised the capital, put the capital to work in three days. And we're projecting to get a 2x equity multiple on that asset under 12 months. And we're wow. already on the refinance to buy the, the second asset. And we're hunting for a third asset to trade forward very quickly. So our goal is buy as much as we can, as quickly as we can, continue to trade forward while these deals are available. I mean, I don't know. Three to five years ago, they weren't. But maybe we think one and a half trillion in commercial real estate debt coming due by 2025. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot. We're, on, we're actually on the brink of a bunch of opportunity. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we'll be that we'll have this much deal flow in three to five. Pretty likely much more deal flow in three to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. We're going to ride this out as, as long as we can. But the point is, each step is a calculated step. Much much less long-term forecast and risk. Okay, so very interesting. What you're telling me is you have your own team that does acquisitions, kind of like almost like wholesaling or finding these directed owner using my AI. So, hey, you know, if, if you're an owner, maybe in CoStar report, I'm going to call you up and see if you're in trouble and then we'll try to figure, help you out, rescue you, rescue capital. Because you already, I guess you already have the capital in your fund already, right? Or you have to raise the capital. Yeah, so I raised capital. It's never, that's always been a strength of mine. Okay. Uh, coming from automation and robotics background, we we put together multi-billion dollar custom machine design build projects that were very risky. <laughs> and, for, okay. Okay. and so, I mean, doing doing raising capital for real estate is a much, much more calculated and assured return than than those development projects that I was that I spent my professional career putting together. Right, right. But I assume that right now in your fund, you already have the capital. You just got to go out there and deploy the capital. Is that correct? Or is it, is it empty new brand new fund? Oh, so we, we raised we, we raised in tranches. Uh, okay. So right now we just finished our first tranche for our first act. And then okay. we're refinancing that. And then we'll pair the refinance proceeds with, um, with and we go to buy the next asset. If we need more asset, more, more capital than what we have in the fund, raise a little bit more in the second tranche. Oh, we're going to sell this property, depending upon the size of the next property, we'll 1031 exchange into it. We may need to add some more capital to it, right? And then, yeah. then we turn one into two and then two into four. So we'll add capital, but we continue to repurpose the capital through of refinances and sell to, to rapidly grow oh, I see. the number of assets within the fund to compound cash flow and compound your yield, your equity. Mm-hmm. 
as mm-hmm. fast as we can when we have this buying opportunity. But you still get your cash flow. I mean, the, the, just like in a normal deal, the cash flow still goes. It's not as big in the first asset. Any deal you get into now, it's hard to cash flow with interest rate, yeah. cost, yeah. everything has just gone up. But but you compound that into two and then four and then eight. Now you're trying to get some, now you're getting some exciting, right? Okay. okay. You invest once instead of holding an asset for three to five years and missing the entire buying window. You invest once, we'll, we'll buy a dozen assets with that dollar in three to five years, right? Mm, yes. More efficient. Interesting. That's very interesting because I had always a debate about single asset versus fund. And I had that on my podcast with Joe Fairless, another guy. We spoke about that. We kept debating, should, should I do a fund or should I do a single asset? Now, my, my investors like to see and touch the property. If I, if I create a blind fund, they can't see it. So I'm not, I'm a little hesitant to raise capital when they don't see nothing. That, that's, the, that's the issue I was worried about, you know. Well, so and again, you're talking about three, five, ten years ago, and you're talking about a very different model. You're talking about still buying and holding for three to five or five to seven to ten years, mm-hmm. but you're talking about buying one at a time, but then holding, shutting the fund yeah. down. Right. And, and this is a completely different conversation with an entirely different model where all of that doesn't make sense because what we're buying is something we're trading out of immediately. So you don't have to get married to it. You're not bringing it home, introducing it to mom, and then putting your property manager on site to live there and visiting mm-hmm. it every quarter for five years. So, yes. Yes. you know, it is just purely we're going to visit it, hang out for a little while and trade it forward. So you get if you convey that message right now, uh, mm-hmm. to the investors, then they get it. Why? Because single family operators do this all the time. They, they buy stuff and flip it and move forward. And it's just that in the single family world, it's easier to find those deals okay. over the last 10 years. It is very cool right now that we can find them in commercial assets. So right, right. So is not an not an a, not an extraordinary thing we're doing. It's just we're just a, in the in the strategy, just replying it to commercial assets. Right, so almost like a fix and flip for a short term for for multifamily in essence, right? So yeah, and whereas we're not doing any long term value add, right? It's the the fix the he- where you associate like a heavy renovation with the fix and flip. You know, we're only doing we can do it in like a month or two or three we're buying great assets already that oh, don't need heavy renovations but we're just making the return on the buy i see so light light renovation a cosmetic not heavy value add and not long term that's very interesting that's a very different strategy than than i know but that's very unique because that's very good that's very good i don't know anybody else doing it and i don't know why <laughs> or maybe they <laughs> want the deal flow uh but it makes a ton of sense i think it's because a lot of people can't find a deal flow and they don't they don't know how to source the deal from the owner directly it's hard to convince an owner to sell you the deal you know it's it's, it's a little bit unless you have a really great team that knows how to talk and convince them you know i mean it's hard to like convince the owner i think that's the issue mm-hmm. yeah yep, exactly so good so so it's great that you guys um having great success and you're doing that in your in your fund um and and so that's a very valuable uh critical point that's very interesting and I guess, how do you, do you reach out? Is it automatic online? You reach out to investors that you want to invest? So how do you, what's your approach to raising capital? Well, I, I mean, I'm doing this for a little while. So I've developed, you know, we we closed on the first asset, raised the capital without really sending out a mass email at all. We we just had a bunch of our investors that had, were interested in deals that joined the wait list, um, investonmainstreet.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a wait list for our recessionary acquisitions fund. And we have about 12 million in commitments right okay. now to apply okay. towards but if it, i mean if somebody's interested jump in there uh because we've got a ton of opportunity we got two more assets in the hopper looking to close on november december and the sooner you invest 
the faster you start compounding and the less of this buying window, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, you can take advantage of my, the people that made billions of dollars in 2009 and 10, you know, there were people that those assets that people lost transferred to, right. Yeah. People that took action and made calculated buying decisions at the right time. And so where fear is something that's rampant and sentiment driven news is scaring people. That's perfect for me because I'm an engineer and I'm calculated. I <laughs> go back to my numbers and be like, wow, this is amazing. Right. That's great. That's, so great. That's, great. that's where we're at right now. Okay, great. That's great. I guess you, it's okay. That's great. I guess people, either they know you or you know a relationship with them and, and is this a file six C or B normally this, this, this deal you're looking at? You know, I've only ever done uh, Reg D 506C, said Charlie, uh, 100,000 minimums for accredited investors only. And that means a million dollars in net worth, not including your personal residence, 200,000 in income as an individual or 300,000 in income jointly with your spouse. And mm -hmm. I've, all, I've always done deals that way, but that allows me to talk about them right now to you, right? right. Whereas if I was doing for non-accredited investors, you can't really talk about what you're doing and you got to be really only... You got to know, like, and trust and have this inner circle of pre-existing relationship. So it takes somebody like me out there to, to talk about what we're doing. And if you're not accredited, still set up a call. I mean, I, I love talking to investors. I have an open calendar, investonmainstream.com okay. slash contact. And I can put, get you pointed in the right direction to people that do deals for non-accredited investors uh, okay. that I know of. But they won't be on this podcast talking about them because they can't. I see. I see. So you don't do file six C, which is great because you're one of the few that only does file six C. Most of them do file six B. Is what I what I know from my lawyer. But you're the one of you does file six C because you go straight to the accredited investor where you can you can advertise. So I assume you have some really elaborate strategies and how to how to do that on certain platforms to attract new investors. Okay. There's. I'll be honest with you. You know, I did mostly when I started out. It was my relationships through the high tech automation and robotics, and mm -hmm. I did not go friends and family. Okay. When I started out, I, I went through uh, prior colleagues and prior works as people that I went to university with and, 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 you know, my robotics and automation. And, and they were very interested because I had developed respect. And it wasn't until I did a first couple deals that I, I realized I was like, wow, you know, I'm pulling in some capital. This is an important part of the business. Let me scale this. And I got some advice. Hey, you need to get your story out there. So I'm I've got a best-selling book I'm happy to give away. Uh, we actually send a signed hard copy shipped free. Okay. To, this is called Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers, Turning Challenges and Opportunities. And I uh, did make a bestseller on Amazon. And there's some really cool stories. Phil Collins, the guitarist of Def Leppard, an actual rock star, and, and some NFL, NBA players. I, it was a really fun book. Great team. I did a chapter. I tell my whole story. Uh, I, I get good feedback that it helps inspire people so we offer that if anybody wants okay. a copy they can go invest on mainstreet.com slash book mm -hmm. and then in the promo code add this podcast invest on mainstreet.com slash book so that helped out a lot right because okay. people okay. started realizing learning about my story getting on podcasts i speak on stages now just did okay. 600 people at mfin in san francisco this last weekend okay. and uh just starting to get my name out there my story about the ups and downs my investment okay. is people start getting attracted to that. I don't think it's any magic, you know, marketing. I think people see through that. Okay. They just want to invest with, you know, good conservative people that are doing the best they can. Right. You got to right. get yourself out there. 
Great. That's great. Practice. I'm very impressed. You're, you're raising capital track records. Not people can raise that kind of money. Not many operators can raise that kind of, that kind of money is what I can see. So that's really good that you have that, that track record. It's really good. And you're, and you're very unique because you're very thoughtful in how you strategize and calculate your, your vision and, and how you acquire deals. And it's not uh, like the, the ones that I've been, you know, I've been shown or taught in the past. So it's, it's very different. That's great. So you want to talk a little bit, touch on AI. So what do you think about AI and 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 I guess in investing in general? What what would you you know advise or sh- can share on that? Well, there's some AI tools we use a lot. I actually did a I contributed to an article in Forbes. I have quite a few articles in Forbes on the uses of AI in real estate. But mostly it was about you know, kind of like the use of Reonomy is one of them. It's a machine learning algorithm that does a lot of web screaming and red web scraping and compiling of information. We can do intelligent searches, uh, stuff like that. Uh, So that was one that's, man, for three to four years was very strong. I think in this market, our strategy is very different now. Uh, So we're not using as much of that. Um, From from a daily basis, we have conversations uh, with our team. How can we make this more efficient with AI? I know we've already implemented AI in phone systems in the properties, a handful yeah. of properties for uh, for leasing as appointments as well as maintenance requests, and and it's been well received. You know, I yeah. mean, they don't they don't have an attitude and they don't argue; they just <laughs> submit things. So, yeah. um, that's that's been productive. And other than that, there's just a bunch of little like AI tools we use around the office. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. That's great to share. So anyone wants to reach out to you, Pat, how can they reach out to you and, and get, a, get a hold of you? Yeah, so investonmainstreet.com slash contact. Uh, okay. My calendar is right there. Happy to chat to anybody if they want to set up a call. Uh, one of the things I love about what I get to do now that I've left the engineering world altogether mm-hmm. is I have time available to just meet people and mm-hmm. learn about where they're headed and see if I can get them pointed in the right direction. And that's be awesome. So my email is patrick at investonmainstreet.com. And we also have a an educational for alternative investments is really where we talk about we have other than real estate even we've we've done diversified energy funds and stuff like that that help to really give you some non correlated investments in alternative mm-hmm. assets and so uh, if you're interested in that we also have passive investing mastery which is a sister company we're launching really excited about that because. You know, invest on Main Street's really kind of solidified in this real estate space, whereas I've always been a believer in diversification. Mm-hmm. And if you look at even my passive investor guide, it's a free download on my website. Okay. Five slides in, that's the diversification of the wealth. And, you know, it talks about only 25 to 50% of the high income and ultra wealthy's portfolio okay. is in alternative investments. So it's okay. not all of it in real estate, it's diversified. And so we try and help solve that need. And, and so passiveinvestingmastery.com is a great resource for you on that. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Pat. Do come and show. I appreciate it. Yep. Happy to be here, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.